Hi, I'm Dr. German Newman, also known as the Plant Power Doctor, and I'm your host for the Wellness Edit with Holland and Barrett. In this episode, I'm really pleased to be joined by the lovely Lottie Drynan. Lottie is a huge name in the gut health world. Since sharing her personal story of irritable bowel syndrome or IBS, anxiety and mental health issues, she realised there are many other women living with chronic illness and battling with bloating and body image. And as a result of this discovery, she has built a 250,000 strong community via the Tummy Diaries and You've Got This platforms that she has built, including a private Facebook support group, monthly events, and a self-published wellness journal. And she is currently pregnant with her first child as well. Welcome, Lottie, to the podcast. Thank you. What an intro. Thank you for that. You're welcome. (laughs) I always find it quite strange listening to other people's intros of me. How did it feel listening to all that when uh, when you were sort of listening back there? (laughs) Yeah, it was nice. Yeah, thank you very much. (laughs) No, you're welcome. And we're really, really, really lucky to have you because you are due any day now. So I'm actually quite relieved yeah. that you haven't given birth just yet. <laughs> How, well, um, let, let's, fingers crossed it won't happen during the podcast, but yes. you know, never know. <laughs> you, just, you just let me know if you start getting any tightenings, okay? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're all good at the moment. Oh, good, good. So how, I mean, how have you found the pregnancy? I guess that's a good place to start, you know, with, with the journey that you've been on, obviously with your gut health. Has pregnancy impacted that in any way? Yeah, it has. Um, Do you know what? I didn't really know. I'd never really heard any stories about IBS and gut health related to pregnancy. So I didn't know what to expect. And I think the first trimester, it's sort of been a bit of a roller coaster as we've gone on. But the first trimester, there was a lot of bloating, sort of, I had had HG as well. So I was very sick. So I was sort of not able to eat my usual foods. um, For those who don't know, HG is uh, hyperemesis gravidarum, which is the medical term for extreme nausea and sickness in pregnancy. Yes, it's not fun, but I was I was lucky and I managed to get through that with medication. And actually, um, from about week, well, probably the beginning of um, second trimester, my bloating started to go. And then as I went on medication for HG and I could start to eat more normally, I've actually had a really great experience IBS-wise. I've managed to eat foods that I haven't been able to eat for years and just feel, my stomach just feels a lot less sensitive. So I'm rolling with it and I'm taking advantage of it as much as I can. And I can actually eat ice cream, which is amazing. So yeah, I've been really, really lucky, I think, in terms of IBS. And it's only the past week or so I've noticed differences, like changes with my bowel movements, which I think is quite normal as your body prepares for labour. But overall, I've been really I get happy with it. Oh, that's great news. I'm delighted to hear that. Pregnancy can often be quite the journey in a number of ways. It's amazing how much our bodies change to prepare for bringing new life into the world. So I'm really glad that once that sickness has eased, you've actually had some relief from your gut health symptoms. So that's great. Um, yeah. Oh, I've heard that some people, because I think it can go either way. And I've heard a lot of people say that actually their IBS is triggered by pregnancy. But a lot of people have also said to me that even post-pregnancy, 
their stomachs have continued to be less sensitive. So I'm really interested in how that will go once I've given birth. Mm. So we'll see. Yes, I'm looking forward to following you in that journey as well. So, but <laughs> but let's you. let's go back. Let's go back to the beginning if we can, because some of our listeners won't be familiar with your story. I know I sort of intimated at it when I was doing the intro, but I would love to understand a bit more about what led you to to this career and you know what happened in your own health that sort of started you on all of this with regard to gut health? Yeah, I mean, it was something I definitely didn't plan when I was at school um, that I would be talking about gut health. But so I guess it was in my late teens, early 20s, I started experiencing problems with my gut and didn't know what was going on. I had a very long diagnosis process, like I think most people, I think the average, I believe the average is eight years and eight years is how long it took me to be diagnosed and when I did finally get that diagnosis or even a bit before it's just it's very like a lonely and isolating time which I'm sure we'll go into because there's still so much taboo around it and you feel like you can't talk to anybody and I think this is when I first sort of discovered Instagram and I started looking on for like hashtags of like IBS, low FODMAP, bloating and decided to create a little account for myself almost using as a bit of a diary and a way to find a community. Never really intended to, I guess, blog as such, but more just sort of document it and hopefully find some support. And I realised, as with pretty much anything in the world, even the most niche things, there was a whole community around it, which was just incredible. And it really, really helped me. The first time I felt like I was maybe getting some answers and making some progress. And that just sort of developed. I think I started talking about it more and I'm a big talker anyway. <laughs> so I started enjoying it and I'm a massive oversharer. So it started off a bit of a food blog of because I was trying to discover what, what I could and couldn't eat. And then I started talking more about the bloating side. And uh, at the time I was going through, I was actually going through my eating disorder. So I was talking a lot about sort of body image and how it's affected me and anxiety and just realised that there was, I guess, a gap in people talking about that and really found so many, especially women, coming and sharing their own experiences and it sort of developed from there. Yeah. Gosh, that's amazing. And I love hearing that you openly shared some of the things that you struggle with and in doing so allowed you to create more of a community around that. Because I think, you know, we can feel nervous about sharing our experiences, especially when it comes to disordered eating or depression or loneliness or isolation. So ironically, in sharing that, you've certainly noticed actually the opposite to be true, that you've been able to get more connection, more understanding. And and it sounds as though you've been able to get more answers as well. Yeah, definitely. I remember the first blog post that I wrote, I think it was about anxiety. And my husband actually found a, found a photo recently that he took for my cover picture. And I remember sort of sweating and thinking, oh my gosh, I've really opened up and no one's going to understand this and it's going to sound dramatic or silly. And I remember there was just such a lovely reaction from people and then them then sharing their stories. And for me, it's like... I don't want to say therapy because it doesn't replace that, but it is a, a form of that. And I was like, wow, I'm not alone. And as much as you don't ever want anybody else to feel the same way, like negatively, but 
there is a lot of comfort in knowing you're not alone when you're feeling those things. Yeah, absolutely. And then obviously building your community around that, which is just great. Tell me a bit more about what you experienced. So it sounds as though you had an eating disorder from what you said and gastrointestinal symptoms combined. What was actually going on in your life and what did you notice? Yeah, it's really hard. Like, I feel like it's a bit of a what came first, chicken or the egg situation with those, because we know that eating disorders and disordered eating can trigger IBS symptoms because we're not looking after our gut health very well. But also the other way around in terms of being scared of foods with IBS that was triggering or enhancing my disordered eating. So it's a really difficult one to know which started first. But it was, I think I was about 18 when I started realising that there was something going on with my gut. And I was thinking back um, when the questions came through and it said, um, when did you first realise? I I suddenly remembered a moment I don't think I've ever shared publicly. And maybe I was embarrassed to before. I remember it was my first job that I counted as my proper job in terms of the career path I wanted to go down. And I was a visual merchandiser for a big fashion brand. And I remember that I used to have to start really early, so about five, six o'clock in the morning. And I remember I had, I'm sure this is no such thing as TMI here, but I remember I had really like bad gas and needing to go to the toilet all the time. And I was so mortified because I just started this job. And I was like, what is going on? And I don't know exactly what the trigger was for that beginning, but I remember that those months in that job, it was so hard for me because I had to be on the shop floor. And that was sort of the time that I realised, hold on, this is really impacting my life and making me miserable and anxious. And I had no idea what was going on. So yeah, I think that was the moment. And then from then, it sort of continued and developed. And I started just trying to discover what exactly it was, which took a while and quite a lot of tests. Yeah. And Interestingly, I mean, I, I can actually look back on that time in my life as well. I remember a time when I was about 17 and I I was in a conference and I started to feel really embarrassed because I felt as though I needed to break wind and I didn't want to because I was sitting next yeah. to all these strangers and my tummy got so bloated and uncomfortable. I felt horrendous. I was getting these awful cramps. It was horrific. Yeah. And I, I just, I think why do we find it so embarrassing? You know, this is something that everybody does, right? Everybody breaks wind. (laughs) Everybody has to do a poo. (laughs) Definitely. Like most other bodily functions, you would just talk to, even being sick, you would just openly say, oh yeah, I was sick the other day. But but with bowel movements, it's still such a taboo, isn't it? Yeah, I guess because maybe because it doesn't smell very good and it's a funny noise. That's true. Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> people don't like that noise. It makes makes them feel embarrassed. But I'm glad that we're talking about it. And hopefully if people can even hear us talking and laughing about bowel movements and farts and, you know, bodily functions, <laughs> that they can feel more comfortable with theirs. So <laughs> so when it came to you, you said it took eight years to actually finally get a handle on what was going on. Did you get any sort of relief from medications or was it was your relief more from sort of online tips or you know in your journey how did you find yourself being able to get on top of it so I feel I did take some medications but I mean over the course of those eight years I guess I was lucky that I had so many tests there because they really did want to rule out other things whereas some people will just be dismissed which I also had been by a lot of doctors but Yeah, so medication-wise, I took a few things, but nothing that was sort of 
changed my world. And I think, I think especially when you're like in the moment of, or the long period of desperation, you want this magic pill. I wanted an answer that would just cure it. And I started to realise that I probably wasn't going to get that even before my diagnosis. And that's when I started researching myself. I guess I think it was around the time that I started my Instagram page and I thought I need to take this into my own hands because I'm not being taken seriously and I'm not really getting any answers. And that's when I started reading books, listening to podcasts, searching online. And I guess for I started realising it wasn't purely food. So in my mind, it was, and we might go on to that, I'm sure, but I was told about the FODMAP diet. So that was all it was to me. And I had to follow this and it wasn't particularly helping at the time. And then I started to realise that, okay, other people are saying that there's other things involved, like stress and sleep and movement. And I think at the time I sort of dismissed that as sort of wishy-washy, like, yeah, sure. But the more I read about it, the more I realised that, okay, no, this this is starting to make sense. And I think it's then once I took that on board and started to look at the bigger picture of my lifestyle and sort of 360 degree approach, that's when I started seeing changes. Yeah. I think that's really important to highlight for people. Irritable bowel syndrome can be characterized by so many different symptoms. And usually it's things like bloating or constipation or diarrhea or abdominal discomfort. But trying to get to the bottom of that doesn't just involve food. And I should backtrack a little bit because some people may not be familiar with FODMAPs. Now, basically these are sugars that are not completely digested or absorbed by the large intestine and they can sometimes trigger gut symptoms in people with irritable bowel syndrome. And this is quite complex because these are actually prebiotic foods often, foods that are really generally good for our health. And the low FODMAP diet plan was actually developed, I think, by researchers at Monash University in Australia as a short term kind of let's just eliminate the symptoms in the short term while we sort everything else in the gut out and then reintroduce these things gradually so as not to cause long term issues with avoiding these healthy foods. Is that something that you would agree with or is that something that, that you've sort of found in your own research on yourself or no? Yes. So once I started fully understanding it, I think that the diet is great if used the right way, just how how you said, and with ideally a trained professional that can help. Whereas I think think it has got better, but I think especially at the time, which was a good few years ago now, it was, I don't want to say a trend, but I guess we didn't really know as much about it. And a lot of people, including myself, just were given... I think it's so common, like a GP just writing low FODMAP diet on a piece of paper, us going away, getting a list and not realising that actually this diet was part of a, like you say, a bigger picture and was just one area to explore. And usually, actually, the last thing that we should do once we've addressed other potential things that could be triggering us. So I think it can be a hard one if we're not correctly informed it can potentially be damaging, but also can be fantastic if used in the correct way. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. I think instituting a low FODMAP diet in the long term is not considered to be healthy. And certainly doing it without the guidance of a dietitian or a nutritionist or a doctor who has training in this area may have its health risks because, you know, some of these foods are prebiotics which stimulate the promotion of good bacteria things like you know garlic and onions and leeks and asparagus and ginger and 
cabbage and beetroot and bananas and blueberries <laughs> and apples. Like these are really great foods and they are actually yeah. overall long-term super healthy for us. And once our gut bugs are kind of in the right sort of ratios, we can hopefully start to see those long-term health benefits. So yeah, that's a really important thing to highlight. And also I'm so glad you mentioned the importance of reducing stress and looking at sleep patterns and did you say movement as well yeah yeah for me I'd say it's and I think for most it's a combination of stress of diet of hormones movement and sleep like those five things for me just and it sounds like a a lot but once you for me once I sort of put that puzzle together and managed to get a balance between those I figured out that I could feel a lot better in myself and it didn't cure everything but I usually can tell if I've having a flare-up it usually points to one or a number of those things whereas before I'd think what have I eaten I ate the same thing as I did yesterday I haven't eaten anything on this list so and then I'd get myself in a bigger stress and then that would then cause <laughs> even more of a flare-up so yeah I think it's those five things that have made the biggest difference for me. Mm, really good to know and also so good to share that with your community I I was looking at your Instagram and one of the things that I really liked about it, you know, you're so friendly and smiley and open and honest, but I loved, um, looking at more about the hashtag that you created. Um, and I'd like to talk to you about that because I think it's a really positive thing that this hashtag, hashtag my bloated wardrobe has kind (laughs) of, has kind of gone viral. Um, because this is something that, that, that people need. So tell me, tell me more about, about your hashtag and, and why this was important to you. Yeah. So that came from, I think being, like I say, I was in my young twenties and I was at this point, I was going out clubbing, couldn't think of anything worse now, but, (laughs) um, and it was like skinny jeans were all the rage. And I always talk back about those top shop Joni jeans that are so tight. I couldn't breathe in and like bodycon dresses, And I remember all my friends would wear those and I'd want to wear them, but they would just be so physically uncomfortable and they would, it would stress me out to the point that I would think, okay, I'm going out later on with the girls. I've got to wear these jeans. And just the thought would now I, now I can look back and think just that thought, that stress was causing me to bloat that to the point that I then couldn't get in those jeans or they're really uncomfortable and have to undo them for the night. And I remember holding my clutch bag over the top of my undone jeans whilst being out. And I'd really get myself wound up about clothes. And I think, body image is difficult enough, especially as women, for us to deal with. And then having a body that's constantly changing and feeling like it's working against you can make it really, really hard. And I wasn't for a good few years until I realised that actually, so I've, I've always loved fashion. Um, and I thought, actually, I can make my clothes work for my body rather than against it. And I can, rather than I guess, trying to change my body for my outfits. It's the other way around. And I started discovering sort of floaty dresses, elasticated like what I'm wearing now. I mean, you guys can't see, but I'm wearing my sheared dress that will just expand as much as I need it to, even through pregnancy. But this is something that I would wear all the time. I just started realising that I can feel comfortable in my clothes and I can find things that work for me, even as I change throughout the day, weeks. It's wonderful. So yeah, I cre- yeah I created. I don't know how I can't remember how the hashtag was born, but I just started. I started reviewing them. So I sort of review them for stretch, for comfort, and things like that. And 
it became something online that people, I guess, were really interested in and started sharing their own, which is amazing. I love seeing other people's, my bloated wardrobe um, videos. Yeah, I think it's great. And, you know, also perhaps in a way to kind of normalise a little bit of bloating here and there, because obviously you don't want to have to live with huge bloating and there are various issues that you want to be able to deal with when you are severely bloated. Like you said, you know, changing the lifestyle and minimising that where you can, but also to at the same time, recognize that a little bit of bloating here and there, especially during your cycle is, is very common and normal. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's a big thing. It's not about hiding the bloat. So my bloat wardrobe isn't about finding stuff where people won't see it. It's about finding your style that also makes you feel good and both physically and mentally and if that is a body con dress that is stretchy and shows off your tummy then absolutely brilliant so yeah I think it's really important for us to embrace sort of that our bodies do change and that Mm. can be very normal and this is it we know that the beauty standards that that we've as women have felt the need to kind of comply with I do think affects our mental health. And I've certainly noticed that with my patients, um, you know, the pressure to have a flat stomach, um, and, um, you know, the certain look, which obviously changes over time, you know, over certain decades, different kind of female body looks become in, which is odd if you think about it, because you know we've got a very long yeah, life. Our bodies and are a trend, like <laughs> what? I know it's ridiculous. But is this something that you've noticed when speaking to women in your community as well? Oh, definitely, definitely. And I think that was was a big thing for me, um, sort of comparing myself to, I guess, all the things that we see online, the media, celebrities, the flat stomach. And I think especially when I look in my um, in our Facebook group that you've got this support group, I think it's so nice because um, a lot of us are sharing all different body types. And I think it's sometimes I think I'm living in this bubble because I see so many now, so many different bodies and it's incredible. So I feel really comfortable and confident and I forget that actually it does to exist when you open a magazine or the Daily Mail or something like that. But I think the more that we can surround ourselves by people talking about and sharing the different bodies and not just bodies, but just lives in general, it can take that pressure away because I think that the appearance side of things is a big thing. And again, that's another thing that can trigger more stress in comparison, which is not what we need when we're going for enough with experiencing gut conditions no agreed and I'm glad that you've got a space online where people can feel that way uh, we do need more and more of that in my opinion as well certainly for maintaining long-term mental health and you know also for young children girls and boys you know, there are more stresses now than ever there's more anxiety self-harm uh, issues with body image and I would be really interested to know your thoughts on how to help address that in you know, our younger people in society? Is that something that you've thought about? Yeah, I think even from school age, there needs to be more education around that and so many other life areas. But I think sort of mental health and body image and even, I guess, come down to nutrition and stress and well-being, I guess, in general, I was never taught anything at that about that school and I have heard some stories where people, that is becoming more of a focus, which is great. I think these are really important life lessons and understandings for us to have as we grow up, especially now social media. I mean, that wasn't really a thing when I, even when I was at school and now it, it is, it's a daily normal 
form of communication and we've got access to all these images online and it's bound to cause comparison and mental health um, problems so I think yeah I think it's so important and there's like incredible books and resources now um, that I really do hope schools take on and I see there's a lot of um, influencers and body image experts I follow online and I do see them going to do talks at schools which is fantastic and I really hope that more and more and that comes part of the curriculum because I think that'll be so so beneficial Mm. for people to just understand and be aware of how to look after themselves. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so have you got any specific advice for people? So say, obviously your daughter's just about to be born, that you're going to be probably thinking about all these things as a, as a burgeoning mummy as well, but. Um, <laughs> Scary. Yeah, I know. It's a big responsibility. <laughs> it um, is. <laughs> but um, I mean, you, would you say like, have you got any advice, specific advice for people who are struggling with their bowel movements or bloating uh, or other sort of tummy and poo issues? Have you got any specific advice for them um, if they don't know where to turn? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things is if you can to try and find a community, whether that be just a friend, someone at work or online. And that's the same with whatever it is you're going through. I just think online can be incredible. I know there's so much damaging stuff about social media, but also you can always find a community, a Facebook group, an Instagram hashtag, And do you know what, with IBS, there are so many and there's a really, really great support group of people. And I think just being able to talk about it is one of the biggest game changers because when you're keeping it all in, that's just going to cause more stress. So I I would say find someone that you can talk to, um, Mm. whether that be in real life or online. Mm, That's a great tip. I think another one that I would add to that is if you are noticing any concerning symptoms to go to your doctor. Yeah. Sometimes it's actually really helpful to rule out other more serious issues. I say more serious. It is serious. IBS is serious, but we also have other conditions that can have similar symptoms and also things like mucus or blood coming out from the back passage or unintended weight loss. These are these are things that that could indicate something that you'd need to have treated. So it's important to go to your doctor if you have any of those as well. Yes, I think that's really important for us to um, get those tests because I believe is it they test for celiac disease and I think it's IBD usually when you first go with those symptoms because they can sort of overlap um, symptom wise. Yeah. So I always say if anyone's in the community, like in our um, Facebook group, I always say please do get this get this checked because there are many things it could and couldn't be, but it is important to get other things ruled out before we start going down a specific path. Yeah. And I think that's also one of the struggles with IBS is that many doctors would characterize it as um, a diagnosis of exclusion, which means you've got to tick the boxes Mm. to make sure it's not not XYZ. It's not IBD. It's not celiac. It's not cancer. It's not polyps. It's not anything else. It's irritable bowel syndrome. Yeah. That's probably one of the reasons why it can sometimes take a little bit longer to get the answers that you're looking for. Definitely. Yeah. There's not just a test to go, yep, this is it, which Mm. can make it really hard because I think that would just help us just, I guess, almost go through the grieving process and then the next, the next part, if we could have an answer. Yeah. So talking about IBS specifically, is there, I mean, I know that diet is important, controlling stress, improving sleep and so on. What are your thoughts on that sort of gut brain connection? Is that something that you've looked into? Yeah, I am fascinated with it. And I got like an obsession with it when I first um, ever heard of it. 
I think that is such a big thing for all of us, not just those of IBS, but it's so important for anyone. We've all experienced those sort of tummy feelings when we're feeling nervous or stressed. And it's something that I think has been really important for me to understand. And I know a lot of other people in similar situations too. Mm. And, you know, looking at that sort of gut-brain connection, we know that the gut and the brain communicate through the vagus nerve, which runs from the brain down to the gut. There's more sort of signals going to the brain from the gut than the other way around. It communicates through the immune system because we know that there's a huge amount of immune cells lining the gut right next to the outside world. Um, and those signals go back and forth between the gut and the brain. And of course, our gut bugs, that incredible community of microbes that communicate between the gut and the brain and that are usually optimized with a high fiber plant rich diet. And of course, those prebiotic foods that I mentioned. So I, I don't know if you saw in my You've Got This um, page, I created a little, uh, two little characters that was Gertrude the gut and Brian the brain and because there's so much science around it and I find it quite hard to take in like all factual information so I need to really break it down for myself so I saw it as Gertrude and Brian our gut and brain I love it (laughs) (laughs) yeah we want them to be best friends they want to do they're trying to work together for us um to ultimately make us happy but they're just basically they've got a really bad communication problem they're just not very good at communicating together so when we've got something like IBS um which is they describe it as a miscommunication between the gut and the brain um that can make it harder so we have to work harder to get their relationship almost like I don't think like we're kind of like a counsellor or a therapist and they're coming to couples therapy and we're trying to get them to work together like guys <laughs> we know you want to do well but you're really letting me down here <laughs> like, so that's why I try and think about it couples counselling I love it it is yeah couples counselling for Gertrude and Brian so it's about finding what makes them happy together and then that's where we feed in things like it could be going for a walk so we're taking Gertrude and Brian for a walk it could be feeding them with some food that they enjoy um so I try to think of that as like a really simple simple way of remembering how I can make myself feel better and get Gertrude and Brian on the same page. (laughs) I absolutely love it. Uh, Thank you for sharing that. That's really made my day. (laughs) I'm going to remember Gertrude and Brian now. (laughs) Oh, brilliant, brilliant. Okay. So as we think about drawing things to a close, I'd love to end with uh, just kind of a brief conversation around what wellness means to you and the advice that you may well have given yourself when you were a teenager all those years ago in your first important job, feeling embarrassed and not knowing where to turn. What advice would you give yourself? Um, be kind to myself, take time to understand myself. I think, like I said, I can be, or a lot of us can just be so desperate to find that magic answer or the magic pill and sometimes unfortunately it takes a bit longer um to do that with with anything so I think it's sort of understanding what makes me and my body and my brain happy and how I can introduce those things in a balanced way that's not necessarily sitting outside doing yoga for five hours a day and but what works well within my lifestyle that's a good advice that's good advice and that can sometimes take time, can't it? Definitely, yeah. It took years, but it's still taking time for me. And I think it can change so much. Like, for example, during the pandemic, I was able to meditate and do all this great stuff and I felt amazing. And then once we came back to the real world, 
that wasn't so achievable. So it's about adjusting and just finding a new balance that works for you. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's important, but always being conscious of it, I suppose, not letting the stresses of the the shifts of life get in the way of your understanding of what it might be that your body needs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Lovely. And with that in mind, this is the wellness edit and wellness is a word that I think, you know, has lots of connotations to it, some positive, some negative. I'd love to hear from you what wellness means to you. Yeah. Um, I think that for me, it's not necessarily living the epitome of the, the perfect healthy lifestyle or being free from illnesses or chronic conditions, because that's not, that's not possible for everybody, but I still think that you can find a sense of wellness. So for me, it's about finding a balance or state where I feel good about myself, sort of in my mind and body. And it sounds cheesy, but I guess where I feel like I'm thriving rather than just surviving. So both mentally and physically, feeling as good as I possibly can, even if there are some things that maybe you're trying to get in the way of that. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Do you have any sort of things that you generally aim to do daily that bring you more of a state of wellness for you? Yeah, I think getting outside has been one of the biggest things. So I used to love running. Now, during pregnancy, I'm struggling to waddle. (laughs) But I think just getting outside, actually, even stepping just in the garden does genuinely make such a big difference for me. I've got ADHD, so my brain is just everywhere all the time and I think that if I can get outside and go for a walk or I used to go for bike rides that just sort of cleared everything I think that's one of the biggest things and one thing that I've I got into a few years ago sort of was a bit of meditation but I do struggle to switch off from it so just listen to like relaxation tapes even 10 minutes I find them really helpful when I go to bed or if I'm going for a little walk they they can really help me that's beautiful Thank you, Lottie. I think that's going to be really helpful for people. I'm sure that's resonated with a lot of our listeners. And I want to wish you all the very best for when your little girl arrives. It is a big change. Your sleep will be affected, I'm sure. But oh, gosh, um, <laughs> I'm already not sleeping. The heartburn oh, is another level. <laughs> oh, I know, I know. I feel you. But um, it's a real adventure and um, I'm excited to follow along and see how you get on. So thank you so very much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. And I'm glad that I managed to get through, as much as I am excited for baby, but we managed to get through the episode about her arrival. So We did. There are no tightenings as yet, thankfully. No, we're all good. I'll, oh, I'll keep you updated though. Brilliant. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. So what did you think of that episode? You couldn't see it on the podcast, but Lottie was beaming almost all the way through. She is a beautiful soul, really open and honest and relatable, sharing her story of irritable bowel syndrome and disordered eating. Uh, Go check out her page. Um, If you're struggling with these issues yourself, do join her community. And I really hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Let me know. Um, Get in touch. And of course, you can rate and review the podcast podcast um, on your favorite podcast platform it can really help other people to hear it um, and 
If you want to and you found it useful, you can also share with friends and loved ones who may be suffering from similar issues. And do join me again next week for our next episode where we'll be talking to another wonderful guest about how to fit wellness into your day. All views are those of our guests and not Holland and Barrett, unless explicitly stated otherwise. Any reference to brands and or products should not be considered as an endorsement.